0: Good morning. Could you please stand for the reading of God's word? The scripture this morning will be taken from Psalm 8, verse through the 9th verse. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies, to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is God's word, let us sing together.
1: O Lord, our Lord, how excellent Thy name! How excellent is Thy name in all all the earth? Who has seen Thy glory? Name forever forevermore. Oh, we will praise thy name forevermore. How excellent thy glorious name. Oh, we will praise thy name forevermore, how excellent thy name. We'll praise and magnify thy name forevermore, we'll all. And magnify thy holy name forevermore Oh, we will praise thy name forevermore How excellent thy glorious name Oh, we will praise thy name forevermore How excellent thy name We'll praise magnify thy name forevermore. We'll long and magnify thy holy name forevermore. We will praise thy holy name forever. We will, Lord, ha- magnify thy name forevermore. We will praise thy holy name forever. We will, Lord, and ha- magnify thy name forevermore. Forevermore, forevermore. Amen.
2: church says. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Ben. <clears throat> want to say hello to everyone who is streaming with us today. We wish you were here with us. I uh, know many of you uh, are traveling, uh, some uh, health-wise struggling a little bit, but we want you to know that, that we think about you and we love you, and we're glad that you're, you're a part of our, our worship today as we worship together as a family. We're going to be looking at Psalm 8 This morning, as we continue through our study of the Psalms this summer, uh, let's pray one more time before uh, we get into this study and press our mind into God's Word and ask God to bless us. Our Father and Lord, Creator of all that we see and more than we imagine, and yet we we, we sing unthinkingly, at times to the work of our hands and what it is that we have set in place and yet your love remains undimmed by human pride and greed and our rages and our calcified hearts. We confess in this moment of worship and study and communion our need for you to shine to break through the hardness of our hearts in order to live within us in this world. And we ask you, Father, to use the words of this psalm to do its work on our souls, for us in our heart and mind to fall in love with these words of David because of what it teaches of you. And so to this end, we ask For eyes that see and ears to hear, in order for these words to become deeply embedded in who we are. And this we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you read the Bible at at any point in your life, you know the name of David, shepherd boy from Bethlehem, King David of Israel. And when we think about David, there are usually two stories that we associate with David. If uh, people are not even uh, people of faith, but they know about David, they know these two stories. One of them is Goliath. You remember the story, he's a young shepherd boy. The armies of Israel fighting the armies of the Philistines. And the giant, Goliath, comes out. He's the champion of the Philistines. And he represents the Philistine nation and all of the stuff that, that represents. And no one will go out and fight in the middle of the valley of Elah. No one will go out and, and fight Goliath except David. Picks up smooth stones with a sling, defeats, and the power of God defeats the giant. He's a national hero. The other story, not so great. He's now king. He's driven the Jebusites out of Jerusalem, And uh, he's about 50 years of age. And when the spring comes and the armies of kings usually go out to do their battles, the the army of Israel, his general Joab, others have said, you need to stay in town. You need to stay in town. And he does. And one evening he's up on top of the roof of his palace. They're on the southern part of the, the little peninsula that heads south of the temple. He's out there on top of his roof and he looks down and he sees um, a beautiful woman who is bathing. And David does not turn aside. He doesn't say, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. He doesn't say that. But he becomes fixed. And you know the story of Bathsheba. And so the national hero becomes a national tragic figure and the doer of great harm to a lot of people. That's the way we usually think about David. Those two big stories, the Goliath and the not-so-great story Bathsheba. But the funny thing is is that God has a different way of looking at the life of David and at David himself. There are two places in the Bible, one in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 13. It's easy to remember. The other one is Acts chapter 13. But in 1 Samuel chapter 13, before there's a Goliath and before there is a Bathsheba, Samuel is speaking, Saul has, has, has just completely rejected God. And Samuel is telling Saul that the, the kingdom is going to be taken and it's going to be given, chapter 13, verse 14, to a person that the Lord has sought out, a man who is after his own what? Heart. And then Paul on that first missionary journey in Acts chapter 13 is is preaching to a bunch of Hebrews who understand the Old Testament. And he's helping them to understand how the Old Testament has has been pointing and, and looking forward to the day of the Messiah. And he uses the story of David and he says in chapter 13 verse 22, he says, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own what? Heart. What is it that... God sees in the heart of David that identifies in the eyes of God that David is a man that is after God's own heart. I mean, this happens. I mean, God is looking at David's heart before there was a Goliath or Bathsheba story to tell. I think Psalm 8 helps us to understand what it is that God sees. In the heart of David, it says, this man, this human, this son, of mine is a man who is after my own heart psalm 8 helps us to understand to see what transformed david's heart and what it is that transformed our hearts into people that chase that more than anything else in this world we want to be in god's presence we want to be invited inside god's heart and inside of god's presence And to know that love and that holy presence in such a way that it brings a smile to God's face. So we see in Psalm 8, we see a sequence. We see first David looking at the heavens, and there is this majesty that begins to dawn on him. A dawning of majesty. And then there is the question about mindfulness. What is man that you're mindful of him? And then uh, there's a mystery that is revealed to us. So a majesty, a mindfulness, and a mystery. Here's the sequence. We begin with majesty. Young David is, is a shepherd, you, as you know. And he's, uh, he's a shepherd, but he has the heart of a poet. And he's living in the Shephelah Yehudah. He is living out in the foothills of Judah. And one night, at the end of the day... He's looking up in the night sky and he's listening. Remember Psalm 19. Heavens declare, the skies declare. And one night he is looking up in the night sky and he hears the moon and the stars singing to God. He sees the heavens declaring the glory of God and his heart swells with the expansiveness of God's majesty as it begins to dawn on him the great beauty and majesty of God in all the universe. For lots of years, we've had a parade in April. A lot of years, and many of you go every year, it's the uh, the Battle of Flowers parade, where we have a lot of uh, young women in the parade who are dressed up in these long, magnificent, long sequined, bejeweled capes. Sort of bedazzled and bablinged. i mean i don 't even know if that 's a word, but you get the idea there 's all these sequins there 's all of this stuff, and the night sky is full of, this, of 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 the stars that is sort of reminded in those capes that those 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 young women wear those capes are long, and if you 've been to the parade. You know, they go by and there's the young women with these beautiful capes. And what does everybody yell as the ladies go by? Show us your shoes. And they show, you know, fancy cowboy boots or fancy sandals or something. And and David is out there and he's looking at the night sky. And all of those stars are like those sequined capes on the back of those young ladies. And David says, God, show me your boots. And he sees Galaxies. And he is overcome. And he says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You set your glory in the heavens. Verse 3, when I consider the heavens the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. David says that all of this that I'm looking at is the work of your fingers. Maybe two references here, possibly. One is strength. You remember Rehoboam, Solomon's son. The young men come to him and say, you know, uh, everybody is wanting you to, 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 to give the people rest. We think that you ought to, 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 to be strong. And the older men have come and they've said, no, uh, Jeroboam is right. He, he knows that the people are tired. You need to give the people rest. And what does Rehoboam do? He decides to go with the young guys and to show his strength. And so he says, My little finger is is thicker than my father's waist. It's a sign of, or it's a, a statement of strength. But it's not only that, it's not just strength, but it's art. The fingers. It's where dexterity is found. Fingers are for paintbrushes, fingers are for potter's wheels for modeling Play-Doh into something beautiful. And David is saying that what I am seeing of your creation, what I am seeing of you, I see you beyond my ability to understand you. I wonder if we have moments like that on a regular basis when we look at God's creation, when we lay before the stars and the moon and the planets at night and we see the constellations, and we see galaxies, and we see things that are beyond our imagination. I've read you this quote before. Charles Misner is a specialist in general relativity relativity theory. He was speaking one time about Albert Einstein and Einstein's thoughts about organized religion. And he wrote, and I quote, I do see the design of the universe as essentially a religious question. That is, that one should have some kind of respect and awe for the whole business. It's very magnificent and shouldn't be taken for granted. In fact, I believe that is why Einstein had so little use for organized religion, although he strikes me as a basically very religious man. He must have looked and what the preacher said about God, and felt that they were blaspheming. He had seen much more majesty than they had ever imagined, and they just were not talking about the real thing. My guess is that he simply felt the religions he'd run across did not have proper respect for the author of the universe. End of quote. Elizabeth Barrett Browning in this little book she wrote called Aurora Lee she wrote an interesting line of poetry she writes earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush a fire with God but only he who sees takes off his shoes the rest sit round it And pluck blackberries. In Isaiah, God speaking through the prophet, to people who had become a little nonchalant about the great holy power and presence of God, he says to them, to whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. I want you to know, church, After 57 years of life, I believe that all of the big problems in life that we encounter come from not seeing God like this. As David looks at the night sky and he thinks of God and the greatness of God that is beyond his imagination, there's a question that begins to form in his mind and we read it right in the very middle of Psalm 8. What is mankind? What is mankind that you're mindful of them? Are humans that you care for them? That word mindfulness. It's the next part of this psalm. At the heart of David's experience of the majesty of God is a very, very daunting question. And the question that David is formed in this psalm is this. Why would someone like you, God, care about someone like me. Psalm 8 in the message reads this way. I look up at your macro skies, dark and enormous, your handmade sky jewelry, moon and stars mounted in their settings. Then I look at my micro self and wonder, why do you bother with us? Why take a second look Our way. The fact that you fill the mind of God should radically change who you are. That you fill the mind of God in heaven should be transforming. It's horrible to to walk away from a conversation or to walk away from a house or from a church and no one notices As human beings, we need to know that we fill the mind of someone. If you've ever had a long bout of loneliness, perhaps as a widow or a widower, you know just how debilitating loneliness can be. The flip side of that coin is mindfulness. Mindfulness is can be life-changing. To know that there is someone who thinks of you and their heart swells. It could be parents. It could be children or friends. It could be a spouse. But what Psalm 8 is telling us is that even if those people are not present in our life, sometimes we have none of those. That there is a God whose mind you fill. I said earlier that at the heart of all of our big problems is not knowing God like this. We all have, and we've talked about this, and and, and you know where I'm going. Uh, We all have this God-shaped hole in our heart that we try to fill with with things like pleasure. There's there's that that emptiness that we fill, and so we try to numb it out by, by experiencing all kinds of pleasure, whatever they might be. Or it might be possessions, that he with the most toy, what? Wins. But in the end, he still dies. Possessions is not the answer. Or maybe it's prestige. That at some point, I'll be famous and everyone will know me. Or it might be power. This psalm does away with all of that. The need for chasing all of that with all of our might and resources. This psalm is telling us is that there is a God who, who is so powerful, you cannot even begin to imagine the power that He has in fingers, let alone His biceps and shoulders and chest. And He is the one that has created everything for you. And in living in His creation, one of the things that we understand is that because it's, it's, it's a flourishing place, and a place where things have been provided for us to be able to thrive and to grow and to exist, That he is a loving God. And it's this God whose mind you feel. You fill up his mind in all of the heavens. David asks, how could someone like me fill your mind, God? And he gets two answers. And they both involve the word made That takes us to creation theology. The first answer, you have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. There is this identity of significance that every human being had. We were created by God. We are made in His image. In other words, we fill the mind of God the way that the children and grandchildren fill the minds of parents. And then he says in verses 6, 7, and 8, you made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. Not only is there an identity of significance, but there is a life of purpose. And both of those are like a splash of cold water for who we are as it wakes us up to know that the, the, the universe is inhabited by a creator who is not hostile, but loving and embracing. But here's the question. How does he really show us? How do we we know that we've not just been abandoned? There There are lots of ways that we could address that, but that brings us to the third point of this psalm and the way that David does it. And it's about a mystery. You go back to verse 2, and David writes in verse 2 something that just doesn't seem to fit in this psalm about his greatness and how in his greatness he can't help but fill his mind with his sons and daughters. Through David's hand, he says, through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies, the silence, the foe, and the avenger. This verse is the proof that the universe will not eat you, but instead is filled with the love of our Father and Creator. S- verse 2 of this psalm is the only part of this psalm that, de- that, that Jesus ever quotes. And in verse 2 he says, There are enemies and there are avengers. And there are foes. The world is full of evil and is full of foes and and enemies. And the way that God deals with it is through the praise of children and infants. A stronghold. We go to the time of Jesus. And on that Sunday, the week before he dies, he's on that little colt and he rides into Jerusalem across the Kidron Valley from the Mount of Olives into the Golden Gate. And in Matthew chapter 21, we are told that the blind and the lame come to him at the temple, the down and outers. Those that really were not considered to be you know, worth much, they were not valued very heavily in this culture. And the blind and the lame come to him at the temple, and the Messiah heals them. The very next verse, children, the children, the kids are shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David. And you know what happens because you're familiar with the story. The chief priests and the teachers of the law, they are indignant that all of this is happening in the precincts of, of the temple. And Jesus says to the chief priests and the teachers of the law, Psalm 8, verse 2 from the Septuagint. He says in verse 16, very next verse, from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, Have called forth your praise. In other words, through the one who is weak and the one who is vulnerable is not just the recognition but the author of the defeat of evil. And that's the way that God has always worked through the weak, through the unexpected, through the surprising one. God has always worked through the rejected and the unwanted and the despised to accomplish His will. And at the apex of, of God, an apogee of that trajectory of God doing His will like that through the weak, is Jesus. God the Son becomes an infant. Born poor, an unknown, forfeiting opportunities right and left for power and fame, becoming a servant rather than a a well-known person or a famous person or politician or wielder of powerful influence, a servant, in order to be stripped naked and hung on a cross, in order that we might find A life that even though it it, it's in the present time exists in eternity. And why would he do that? Why would he do that? It's because as David said, you fill his mind. You fill his mind. I don't know where you are today. But all of the ways that we try to find our proper self-image and find our self-esteem and to find those feel-goods about ourselves they work for a little while, but then in the long run, they really enslave us. They really are the thing that actually beats us down in this life. Everything that promises to be a Savior turns out to be a tyrant. But then the King of the universe, whose mind you fill, who created more than we could ever understand or in, in our finitude could, could ever ever possess in understanding. Says so you fill my mind to the point that in all of the, the lostness and the darkness and all of that that separates you from me, I am willing to break through that in order for you to be mine. It is God whose image we are made in, that not only gives us that image, but tells us in love that we fill His mind. He is mindful of us. I don't know where you are today, but perhaps uh, prayers of the church would be a needed thing for you today, and we could pray, counsel with you, or maybe you're, you're ready to end, end that, that, uh, that way of life where you just seem to be crashing into wall after wall after wall after wall. And what you want more than anything else is is to know that you, your name, your face, your face fills the mind of God. That can happen today. We're going to have some of our shepherds down here at the front. If there's a way that we can minister to you this morning, we want you to come down and talk to these shepherds as we stand and we praise the God of Psalm 8.